You know, uh, you can need food, and you can need water, and you could do without both for a certain period of time only, uh, but you need hope as well. And it could be that you could do without the first two even for a longer period of time uh, than hope. Uh, it's a very valuable commodity today more than ever, and the Bible talks to us about a premier source of hope. And uh, it is mentioned in many places in the Bible, and in the text before us tonight, we're in the book of Numbers, as you know, and have been for some time, we're tracing Israel's wilderness wanderings and trying to make application to our own journey. Uh, in the book of Numbers, a source of hope, a message of hope comes from, uh, I think you will agree, a most unlikely uh, character. We have been reading a little bit about uh, someone named Balaam, and Balaam was from Mesopotamia, um, the land between the rivers, Tigris and Euphrates, in other words, modern-day Iraq. And Balaam's occupation was that he was a sorcerer. He would conjure up spirits, make his appeal to a variety of gods, and uh, laid claim to the capacity to influence those gods. In fact, his reputation was so widespread that a king of Moab uh, in present-day Jordan uh, the king of Moab named Balak uh, sought at great personal expense to enlist the services of Balaam for the sole purpose of invoking the gods to put a curse on Israel. And Balak, if he was anything, he surely was persistent. And so three whole chapters of the Bible, Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24, are invested in a narrative uh, in which the dialogue between Balak and Balaam take place. Balak beseeching Balaam to use his supernatural occultic powers as a sorcerer to manipulate Almighty God into doing that which he uh, insisted he was not going to do, and that is to curse Israel. And then in chapter 24, that's where we find, I did, I think you will as well, a most surprising message of hope from a most unusual uh, messenger, namely Balaam. It's, so it's at Numbers 24. Uh, if you care to, join me in verse 16. So we're skipping just a tad bit. I've given you a little summation of what's come before. I'd like for us to camp out on just a few verses, a message of hope uh, from Numbers chapter 24, verse 16, where we read the oracle of him who hears, these are Balaam's words, by the way, recorded for uh, the words of a Mesopotamian a sorcerer are recorded for us and memorialized, made a permanent record in, in the word of God. The oracle of him, that's Balaam, who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty. He's reporting a supernatural experience here. He sees the vision of the Almighty. And what happened to him? Well, falling down, he was struck by this manifestation of God. Falling down, yet having eyes uncovered. 
I see him, Balaam says, but not now. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, another name for Israel. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, tear down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be a possession of, uh, be a possession, Seir, its enemies also will be a possession while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion and will destroy the remnant from the city. So I ask you, who is this one whom Balaam saw? He had a vision of a particular one of whom it is said he is seen, but not yet. Balaam, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is prophesying. God is making use of a Mesopotamian Godless sorcerer as a vehicle of a rather hopeful, magnificent message pertaining to one who he sees, but not yet. Uh, he is yet to come. Balaam is down, affected by the weightiness of the oracle uh, given to him by Almighty God through his spirit, yet his eyes are open. He could see what he hitherto could not see, he could see the coming of one uh, clearest day, and yet he's not here yet. He's coming in the future. Who is this one referred to in Balaam's prophecy as a star who will come forth from Jacob? Who is this one described as a scepter who shall rise from Israel? Who is this one of whom it is said he will crush Israel's enemies? Who is this one from whom uh, Jacob and who will have dominion? Folks, do you know who he is? He is the Lord Jesus. And Balaam, an occultically involved sorcerer from Mesopotamia, is telling us about him. This is the Lord Jesus, Balaam, under the influence, not of evil spirits, but of God's Holy Spirit, saw him in a vision, prophetically, he saw him, he saw the Lord Jesus coming. It was all future from Balaam's point of view, but the Lord Jesus did in fact come centuries after this to suffer and to die for our sins. And this self-same Jesus will come again for two reasons. He will come to judge those who are not his and to deliver those who are. And what is fascinating to me is that Balaam saw it. Do you? Do you see, looking back, do you see the first coming of the Lord Jesus, which accomplished redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And do you see, hopefully and expectantly, the reality of his second coming? He is glorious like a star, and he has authority as pictured 
by the scepter which Balaam tells us about. He came first, just like a star, shining into the darkness of our sin-sick hearts so as to save us. And he will come the second time again, like a star, piercing the darkness of a sin-sick world at that time to judge it. You see, his coming again is our hope. Don't miss it. It's a very difficult day in which to be alive. Things are happening we do not approve of and frankly are not in control of. We seem unable, even the best of us, to turn it back to the ways we are familiar with and favor. Things seem to be devolving in a downward spiral, by the way, just as the scriptures say. And you and I, Christians, can be on the verge of great pessimism and cynicism unless we are reminded of the fact that it's all going to be resolved, taken care of, made new, straightened out and corrected upon the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want a Mesopotamian sorcerer (laughs) to be more affected by the coming of this Christ, the star, the scepter, than I am. I want his second coming to have just as much effect on me. I want his second coming to have more effect on me than what I read in the newspapers or watch on TV. I want to be more excited about the coming of the Lord Jesus than I am who may be our next president. I don't want to abandon ship just yet. I don't want to dig a hole in the ground and stick my head into it. I don't want to stay in bed, pull the covers over myself and not function. I don't want to do anything like that, but I don't want Balaam to be more affected by the certainty of the coming of the star and the scepter than I is. I happen to know him by name. So do you. I just want to figure out of all the influences we are exposed to today, which one is going to have full sway? Which one is going to influence our mentality more than any other? Listen, let it be the blessed hope of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has authority to conquer sin and Satan. He carries the scepter. He is God Almighty. And he will reign supreme and what's more... His rulership will be characterized by righteousness and justice. Won't that be new? His rule, his reign will be characterized by righteousness and by justice. I tell you, his coming is to be our hope. World peace has eluded the world throughout its history. There have been peace treaties which have been negotiated and peace treaties which have been signed in peacemaking organizations of every kind which have been created, and yet true peace has not come. The Bible says that true peace will come when the Prince of Peace comes again. I am not saying to abandon ship by no means. I am not saying to avoid the Political process, on the contrary. I'm not saying anything of the sort. I'm just saying make sure your hope is rightly placed. True peace will be ushered in upon the return of the Prince of Peace 
and not before. In fact, his delay serves the purpose of showing us we cannot make peace with one another until we make peace with him. We are at odds with one another because we are at odds with him. He's bringing us to the end of ourselves so that our brain trust, the best leadership the world has to offer, don't seem to be very effective at fixing what we done broke. And I think the Lord wants us to lose hope in human agency in order to place hope in the human divine one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will usher in worldwide peace upon his return. You know, his coming has always, always, always been the hope of Christians. It's one of the distinctives of Christians to have hope in his coming. So let me read to you what Peter said to Christians some 2,000 years ago. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, he said, But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens... And a new earth, that's what happens when Jesus returns. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. According to his promise, according to God's promise, good things are going to come when the Lord Jesus comes again. What good things? Well, Peter's passage tells us a new heaven and a new earth. But why do we need them? No, we already have heavens and earth. Yes, but not like the new ones to come. They're described as places in which righteousness dwells. I must tell you, righteousness has not found itself to be at home in this world. Unrighteousness seems to be the case. Did you read just the other day governments are experimenting with two-year marriage? Did, am I missing? <sighs> You know, we've taken holy matrimony. It's holy because it's the uh, design of a holy God. There's this imprimatur on it. It's meant to, in a small way, represent his willingness to be irreversibly wedded to, to us. We've taken it and so redefined it and distorted it so that now two same-gender people can do it. What? I, I don't, it's not the matter is should we make it legal? It's, it's worse than that. How do you even discuss that's not marriage? I don't, but now we're going further. Now, because of the rising divorce rate, the solution is don't ask people to commit for longer than two years. Try it out. That is a misdiagnosis of the problem. Uh, the problem is a devaluation of the plan of Almighty God. A, a, a distortion of how he has defined marriage. Now, folks, I don't want to ruin your day even more than it is, but I just got to tell you, this world is not a place in which righteousness is very comfortable. It has not found uh, uh, its home, but... Peter reminds us, based on the promise of God, when the Lord Jesus comes and recreates things, righteousness will finally be right at home. This will come to pass, not before the Lord Jesus, and when the Lord Jesus returns. You see, so he's our hope. The world is in a rather disturbing mess. I mean, when I grew up, to think of a country having to declare bankruptcy? What? 
What is that? I don't understand. How does a cunt? I just don't. It, it, the, the world is in a rather. You have people occupying Wall Street, and you ask them why they're so upset. They can't even give you a definitive, clear answer what they want. What do they want? Could I tell you what they want? This is a commendable thing. They want something different than what they got. Good. But their hope is not in redesigning the, the uh, economic system. The enemy is not capitalism. Are you kidding me? They don't even... It's just anarchy. It's just whatever we got is so bad, whatever takes its place, though we know not what it is, has got to be better. That's not true. We're seeing this in the Middle East now. It's been pretty bad in Arab countries, but pretty bad Arab leaders are being replaced by worse Arab organizations. Are you kidding me? So, 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 so... <laughs> The world is in a mess. Do you ever wonder if God knows that? Yeah, he does. You know, he not only knows this because he's all-knowing, he's also in control of everything because he's sovereign. In fact, he has such control over every aspect of the world. Get this, he can even deliver, I think, perhaps the most hopefully marvelous message of all time, through a pagan Mesopotamian sorcerer. Oh, my goodness. And I thought God was dependent on Baptist preachers. Oh, my. No, God's in control. And so Balaam was a vehicle used of God to tell us of the coming one who has a scepter and who is like a star. And, you know, there's something really interesting about stars. You don't see them, and all of a sudden you see them. In the sky, they appear rather suddenly, and they're always surrounded by, by darkness. And as such, stars are suggestive of the coming one, whose appearance, the Lord Jesus, that is, will be rather sudden and will be in the midst of darkness. This world is becoming increasingly enveloped by darkness. And so we read in Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Balaam saw him coming from afar, and he came, and he is coming again. Are you hopeful about this? Yeah, be hopeful about this. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope, looking, spirit of expectation, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Folks, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. Someone who has much more time on his hand than I do calculated that 1,527 verses of the Old Testament are about the second coming of Christ. And that one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament are about the second coming of Christ. And that for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight which look forward to his second coming. So too should we be looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus.
So I was talking to my sometime, sometimes friend, Wade. I don't like him too much because he's tall. And he was just sharing about a marvelous conversation with his son, Wade and Kim's son. And I asked Wade if he would come and just spread the wealth and share with us what that conversation was like. So here comes Wade. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you. So this was with Caleb. You were together the other night. Tell us what happened. Uh, we were, and we were in our backyard, and uh, my family and I, Kim and myself and Caleb, Maddie, and Kennedy, we were playing on the trampoline and just enjoying life and tumbling about a bit, and uh, the girls went inside, and Caleb and I finished our battle royale because he loves to wrestle, and uh, so we were, and I got a little tired of wrestling, <laughs> and uh, he has more energy than I do, so I just kind of grabbed him, held him on me, and I was looking up into the sky, and I said, just as a moment to impart the glory of God to my son. I looked up to the sky and I said, Caleb, how far up there, bright blue sky, how far up there do you think heaven is? Oh, dad, that's way up there, way up there, way, way up there. I said, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Isn't it amazing that God left way up there and came way down here for me and you to save us from our sin? Yeah, dad, it is, dad, it is. Look back up there, Caleb, because you know he's coming back again. And when he's coming back again, he's going to meet us in the sky and he's going to take us home with him. How amazing, Caleb, do you think that's going to be? Dad, that's going to be amazing. Caleb, what do you think we should be doing when he comes? Oh, Dad, I don't know, but I hope it's doing something cool, (laughs) something cool. And I said, I hope it's a moment like this with my son or my family or you guys where we're just in the midst of imparting the glory of God to one another and just living an expectant life. And I said, you know, even after that, he's coming back again on a white horse. And we just took that moment. And, and I left that, and I was sharing with Stuart. I said, I left that moment with my son more hopeful and more excited about tomorrow and today because this world ain't all there is. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you, Wade. God bless you, brother. Isn't that, isn't that refreshing, uh, a conversation with father and son is such a wonderful way in which you got Caleb's attention, a measure of the Lord's love to have stooped so low and then to come back again in a different fashion. Thank you, Wade. And Kim, thank you as well. You had something to do with that little kid too as well. I know that. (laughs) Beautiful children, wonderful parents. And I just thought um, if Caleb, a young boy, could be helped to be that excited about the return of the Lord Jesus, then Uh, I I should be as well. You should be as well. Heads up, not heads down, not woe is me. Uh, Be careful. Fight it, fight it, fight it. Fight pessimism. Fight discouragement. Fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it. The Lord Jesus is coming again. Make sure he is our hope. Now, when will it happen? I'm going to tell you, you came to the right place. I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen. Yeah. First, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. It's recorded for us. It's in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Here, I'll just read it to you. After he, the Lord Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up while they, his followers, were looking on. It was on the Mount of Olives. And a cloud cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was departing, two men in white clothing. Who do you think they were? Yeah, they were angels. They stood suddenly beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, do you notice it doesn't say this Moses? It doesn't say this Buddha? It does not say this Mohammed. It says this Jesus, 
who has been taken up from you into heaven will come. Now, here's the answer to our question. How will he return? In just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So now we know all we need to know about uh, the manner in which the Lord will return. It will be visible. Don't worry. You won't be confused about it. It'll be physical. He's not coming as an apparition, a concept, an abstraction. He's coming bodily, literally, obviously, and publicly. That's how he's going to come, because that's the self-same manner in which he rose. Okay, so then answer that question. Now, about, the, about this one. When will the Lord return? I'll tell you. Generally, we know. Precisely, we do not know. Except that guy, was he in California or something like that? He seemed to know. Okay, yeah. We don't know precisely. Look, generally, we know that the Lord will return for us before a period of time characterized by the outpouring of his wrath upon the earth. And generally, we know that he will return with us after the time of the outpouring of his wrath upon a sin-sick world. However, precisely, we do not know. We know of the fact of the Lord's return, but we do not know of the precise moment of the Lord's return, and we should not be surprised by that. Matthew 24, 36, but of that day or hour, no one knows. Will you stop buying books by people who claim to know more than the timetable generally of the return of the Lord? Come on, give me the money. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'll save you reading these voluminous books. I give you, I'm going to write a book. The time of the Lord's return will be 300 pages long. They'll all be blank except on just one page. They'll have Matthew 24, 36 on it. Nobody knows. Okay, what, but what will it be like when the Lord returns? Well, folks, his return, it depends on who you ask. It's going to be different for different people. There are two options as I read the scriptures. I can't see any more, but two options when the Lord returns. For some, his return will bring judgment. For others, his return will bring joy. Those are the only options I know of. Correct me if I'm missing something. And uh, these options are interestingly associated with two meals, suppers, each of which, each of us is going to be identified with one or the other of those meals, but not both, only one or the other. Now, Revelation chapter 19, very conveniently, happens to identify both of these meals. I I I'll acquaint you with them in case you're unfamiliar, and you decide which of those suppers would you prefer to be invited to. The first is mentioned in verse 9 of Revelation 19. It's simply referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the text said, blessed are those who are invited to this one. And the second supper is mentioned a little further down in verses 17 and 18. I'll read to you. It says, then I saw an angel... John is writing this. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them. 
the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. Wow, that supper is entirely different than the first. So there is the marriage supper of the Lamb, characterized by joy. And there is the great supper of God, characterized by judgment. Whoever is at the first one, good news, will not be at the second one. That's the way it is. And all of us are identified with one or the other. One represents joy from God by his grace. And the other represents judgment from God by his holiness. Which do you want to be invited to? And it all has to do with the one that Balaam spoke of centuries ago as the coming star. Folks, people have looked to the stars for guidance and hope throughout the ages. But real hope is to be found in simply looking with eyes of faith upon the star born in a manger pierced through on a cross and coming again in the clouds to judge those who are not his and to deliver those who are. Some people today are hopeless. That's not good. Others, just as bad, have hope, but they've placed it in the wrong people or things. Why not put your hope in the one described as the bright morning star. His name is the Lord Jesus, and he is coming again. The writings of early Christians reveal to us that one of their earliest prayers was summed up in one word, and it was the word Maranatha. It's an Arabic word, and it means, O Lord, come. It was a prayer consistent with his declaration to do this very thing. I am coming again, Maranatha, O Lord, come. They affixed in that word their amen. So may it be. Verily, it is true. I tell you, I am coming again, Maranatha, O Lord, come. That was their prayer. The star described by Balaam came the first time to redeem people from sin. He will come the second time to redeem the entire creation from the effects of sin. Today, people are so focused on the environment, oh my goodness, which they think can be fixed by simply using better light bulbs, which, by the way, have mercury in them. <clears throat> Enjoy your next inhalation at home. Ah, folks, the anxious longing of creation is for the events which will come to be at the return of the Lord Jesus. The corruption of sin and its effect on the environment is going to be dealt with, all of it, upon the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that time, there will be no more crime. Think of it. There will be no more death. Oh, my goodness. Think of it. There will be no more war. Hard to imagine. There will be no more injustice. Oh, my goodness. There will be no more corruption. There will be no more wickedness. 
When Jesus Christ returns, for those of us who know him now by faith, the greatest time of blessing known to humankind will begin. There is a great light at the end of this tunnel, which we call life. The star shines forth at the end of it. The star is indeed coming. And so we pray today, don't we? Pray with me. Say, Maranatha, oh Lord, come. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus. And in it, we join our hearts with believers who have passed before us. From old time, you have been our hope. We have hope of forgiveness of sin. Thank you. Hope of your presence with us in the form of your spirit in us. Thank you. And we have hope of all that which we have rendered corrupt and crooked to be made incorruptible, cleansed and straightened out, but not by human intervention, not by our best efforts, no, but by your return. Oh God, your return. You are our blessed hope. Maranatha, oh Lord, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.